0: You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. This type of storytelling and journalism is made possible by people just like you. So, to keep this content coming to your podcast feed, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast and donate today. Again, to support our work, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast and donate now.
1: Okay, Jesse, here is a softball question for you. Okay. What are the two greatest commands in the Bible? Yeah,
0: I mean, love God, love other people as you love yourself.
1: Right. Love God, love your neighbor. Yeah. And that's like the whole preface of the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But question is, what does it mean for us to really love our neighbors if you think about your neighbor what does it mean to love them and so the company realtor.com decided to find out so they did a survey asking Americans what makes a good neighbor
0: Oh, okay what they what what came back
1: well any guesses top top three top um, three traits of a good neighbor. Top
0: three traits of a good neighbor uh, they're quiet um, okay. they take care of their property okay and they wave hello.
1: Okay. Uh, pretty, pretty close. So, top three number one was trustworthy. Okay. So, uh, taking care of your property could fall into that, I, I think. Number two, quiet. Yeah, yeah. Number three, friendly.
0: Okay, wave hello. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. But here's what's interesting the trait that got the lowest score for being a good neighbor was friendship.
0: What? Why?
1: Yeah. So, people want their neighbors to be friendly, but don't be my friend.
0: Uh, Like, be personable, but don't be personal.
1: I guess. Yeah. Okay.
0: Like, I can kind of understand that. You know, like, as a husband and a parent with two kids, I'm busy. And in America, when you have a busy schedule, you just, you know, don't have a lot of margin. You don't want to be too involved. You don't want people to want too much from you. You're tired. You're tired. It's not okay. I'm not excusing this. I'm just saying that there's a reality that a lot of Americans, that's how we approach things. Like, I'm busy. I don't think that that's what Jesus had in mind, though.
1: Yeah. So the question is, like, what did he have in mind? If, if it's not that, then, then what is it? What does it look like to be a biblical neighbor in today's context? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We have three short stories of people reaching out, trying to follow God's call to be good neighbors.
0: You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. Today's episode, Adventures in Neighboring. Welcome to our corner of the Urban Universe.
1: OK, so I don't know if you have noticed, but we are currently in what has been called a loneliness epidemic.
0: I have very much noticed.
1: Yeah. So a Harvard study found that 36 percent of Americans report feeling lonely frequently.
0: 36 percent. I bet that is low and I bet it gets higher the younger a person is.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's studies have shown that young adults are feeling the most lonely right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I bring that up because feelings of loneliness is actually where our first story today starts. So this story is from a couple named Chris and Elizabeth McKinney. And it starts with probably how a lot of us are feeling right now. They were lonely. Here's Elizabeth.
2: Well, it started in one of the most stressful and busiest seasons of our lives. Chris was um, getting his seminary degree. He was also directing the campus ministry here at the University of Missouri. We had four kids in five years. So we had our hands full. I mean, I was literally that lady at the grocery store that people were like, oh, I feel so bad for her.
0: Uh, they had a lot going on.
1: Yeah, needless to say, Chris and Elizabeth, like, they were busy. They lived near the University of Missouri. They were doing campus outreach. They had four young kids. But like I said, even with all that stuff going on, they were lonely. And you know, sure, they had folks they knew from work and from church, but here's the problem, is that building relationships outside of those things, it just didn't seem feasible in their current season of life. Like. They didn't have time to add one more thing to their already hectic life.
2: We knew we needed community, and and we knew if we had to drive across town to get it, it wasn't going to happen.
1: So they had this thought. Well, what about all these people that we live around? Like, what about our neighborhood? But as soon as they had the thought, it immediately seemed like a dead end. Here's Chris.
3: In our neighborhood was very isolated and very um, not connected at all. There were, I mean, I think for the first three years there, we didn't have like a single trick-or-treater come by.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Seriously. That is isolated.
1: Yeah. So Chris and Elizabeth lived in a suburban neighborhood of about 250 homes. And the vibe was very much like, you don't bother me. I don't bother you. I have my space. You have your space. And we don't cross. But Chris and Elizabeth... They were desperate
3: you know cars would pull into the driveway go into the garage close the door and so i think for us we're like man there's no connection in the neighborhood it's in this se- season of life it's hard to like make plans to go see people you know we were kind of just left with the like we need to maybe push into seeing some friendships or seeing something develop in the neighborhood at least try something
1: so the company, Nextdoor Incorporated, found that simply knowing at least six of your neighbors actually decreases feelings of loneliness. Well, six seemed like a long shot. So Chris and Elizabeth decided to start with two.
0: Okay, yeah, like person on my left, person on my right. That feels doable. Okay.
1: Yeah, so the first person they met in the neighborhood was the guy who was the easiest to spot, a guy named Bingo. Bingo. Bingo
3: so bingo's like seven feet tall so he played basketball at the university of missouri so he was easy to meet as a neighbor it's like okay i want to meet that guy like he i'm i'm a big guy and he like makes me feel like a you know like a, a shrimp so we met them
1: them meaning bingo and his wife so they invited them along with their immediate next door neighbors over to their backyard for a fish fry because dinner was something that they already had to do anyway
2: We love food, we're kind of wannabe foodies. (laughs) So we thought, well, let's do some fish tacos.
1: And it was a good start. Everybody said they had a good time, they would love to get together again. So since Chris and Elizabeth had kids, about a month later, they decided to do an Easter egg hunt outside and they invited a few more neighbors.
3: Eight kids were there, four of them were ours. And we met this other couple who we would have never met if we hadn't done this little Easter egg hunt. And they're like, what do you guys wanna do next? We're like, we have no idea. We're not trying to like start anything crazy. We're just
2: trying to get through today.
3: Yeah, we're just trying to meet some neighbors, but they said, let's try a block party. And we were like, okay, but given where our neighborhood was at and all the obstacles and just the intense amount of the lack of connection, I was very skeptical. I was like, no one's gonna come to this.
0: This feels like it's like spinning out of control very quickly. Like at first they're just like, let's meet two neighbors. And now all of a sudden it's like, let's throw a giant party for everybody. Like this feels like it's getting away from them.
1: Yeah, totally what's happening. And this other couple, they were insistent, like, let's do this big block party. And they wanted Chris and Elizabeth to help put it together. But naturally, like, they were kind of nervous about that.
2: And as we did, I, I wondered in the back of my mind, are people thinking that I think I'm like the mayor of Wyndham Ridge? <laughs> like, no one put me in charge. And yet here I'm like, I'm I'm hosting this. Um, so, yeah, it, it felt kind of awkward at first.
0: <laughs> this is funny. It's like, who's this lady? Like, why is she like calling the shots all of a sudden?
2: Right. It's like. Yeah,
1: we're doing this block party and I'm in charge. And I don't know why I'm in charge, but here I am. <laughs>
0: Especially in a place where, like, nobody knows anybody. So, like, they all live together, but nobody knows their neighbors. And so they're like, where this lady right, come from? Right. And she's just calling it.
1: Yeah. But they pushed through the awkwardness and they had the block party complete with hot dogs, cotton candy, games. And it turns out it was a huge success.
3: But we had people show up. We had like 50 adults and kids come to that first block party and that's kind of where we saw like okay on the outside everybody looks like hey we're fine we're living our lives but they were just as hungry for connection and community because we're all created in god's image we're all created with that deep need to be connected to, to others and to him
1: so through this block party chris saw that his neighbors were not any different from him that they were lonely and longing for community too Behind the routines of people coming home from work, shutting their garage, going inside, there were people who were lonely, just like him and his family. And it seemed like these people had just needed someone to make the first move.
3: And so that's when we began to say, "Okay, I think maybe we could push through some of these obstacles because we see that people really are wanting this.
1: So after that, Chris and Elizabeth found any excuse they could to invite neighbors out and get together. Everything from Arbor Day.
2: When our kids were younger, we planted a tree together. Actually, all the kids kind of dug it out and planted it together. And then our neighbors together purchased 345 seedlings to be planted in the neighborhood.
1: Wow. They did 4th of July parade. They got everyone to trick-or-treat in the neighborhood on Halloween.
3: My neighbors still talk about that first Halloween. They're like, that was one of the best nights, best Halloweens we've ever experienced, just getting to see all the neighbors out and interacting and that sense of community.
1: And this whole time they're doing this, Chris is in full-time college campus ministry, and they're not even really making the connection between ministry and neighboring. In fact, they didn't even think those two things were related.
3: You know, it could be fun to get to know our neighbors, but like we hadn't heard any sermons on it or anything in church.
2: Well, we had heard we had heard the parable of the, well, the, yeah. the Good Samaritan, but I didn't think about it in terms of my next well, door neighbor. that's true. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about it in terms of my literal neighbor.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: so funny. It's like we do that as Christians, right? We're like big, broad neighbor term, and we mean it as like hey, anybody and everybody, and then we're like... Oh, it also can be literal. Right,
1: right. So as they're spending more and more time with their neighbors and they're hosting all these events, Chris starts thinking like, wait a minute, does this have something to do with my faith? Like, could this have anything to do with ministry? You
3: know, how does slinging cotton candy for two hours at a block party fit in someone's story of coming to know Jesus, right? Is it valuable? Is it not? If you don't talk about God, does that still count?
1: And certainly, like, their neighbors knew they went to church and knew that they were Christians. But Chris starts wondering, like, is that enough? So along with the block parties and the holidays, they started a small Bible study in their home. And a few neighbors came, but certainly not as many as would come out to their big events. And so for Chris, that question was still looming. You know, does all this time that I'm spending being friends with my neighbors mean anything? And that was a question that hung in the air Actually, for seven years.
0: Whoa, seven years?
1: Yeah, seven years. And then one day, seven years later, as they were walking into church, they saw a family from the neighborhood.
2: If I'd made a list of a lot of the neighbors and and asked, like, who would be the last people you'd expect to see in church, it would have been this family.
1: So they saw the family walking out of the last service as they were walking in. So they didn't like get a chance to say hi or anything. So when they got home, Elizabeth sent the mom a message.
2: So I Facebooked her and said, "Hey, do you come here often?" kind of thing, and and she wrote me back and said, "We had started coming to church because our kids said they didn't believe in God, but as we've started coming, we realize that we need a relationship with Him ourselves, and we're wondering if we can join your small group. And so it was like, wow, here's a couple who, they knew us from all the different events, they knew we were believers. And so when they were at a point where they were ready to give their lives to Christ, they. They knew they could have instant community. And so that next week they walked through their front yard, through our backyard and into our living room.
3: Well, and another thing is we knew them, right? We we knew them as they walked out of church, right? It's like, they could have just gone to church and kind of been isolated and maybe continued, maybe not, who knows, but like us knowing them, you know, was a a cool outworking of all the, the neighborhood stuff. And I think for me too, it's really helped me engage and embrace like just the small acts. And and you really trust that God's
0: at work. So for Chris and Elizabeth, this was huge. Yeah, it's cool. It's like all of these like tiny little micro moments they've been having, you know, through all these years. They kind of came together. It's like they mattered, you know. They weren't irrelevant or, you know, inconsequential. And it was like, it's almost like um like you watch a movie and there's like all these little plot moments and you go like, what was that for? And it's like suddenly the payoff kind of comes at the end. All those little parties they were throwing and little hellos to their neighbors, it all added up into this moment.
1: Yeah, totally.
3: Isn't fast. It isn't, you know, seeing these things happen real quick, but it's embracing. That, that one conversation, even if the topic of God doesn't come up, we're asking them how their day is, how their parents are doing, or how's that you know graduate degree going. And those little things, God uses all of those ultimately to continue to help people move along, some slower than others, but it opens your eyes that God could be at work in every single little act of love and, and of kindness and service.
1: So after Chris and Elizabeth saw that family go to church and become part of their small group... They decided to dedicate all of their time to the importance of being a good neighbor. So they wrote about their experiences in a book called Placed for a Purpose. And now they work full time in helping equip Christians to be good neighbors wherever they live.
3: He is calling us to to move towards our neighbors, like the Good Samaritan, move towards the person, the man beaten and left for dead in the ditch. And so if I walk out my front door with that in mind, and I think, okay, God's at work. My address isn't an accident and neither is my neighbor's. I get to join in on that story. And that's going to shape how I spend my time and how I see my neighbor and, and see my place in the neighborhood.
1: To hear more from Chris and Elizabeth, including how to get their book, you can check them out at PlacedForAPurpose.com. When we come back, we'll be hearing a little-known story about America's quintessential good neighbor, Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah. Stay with us. Hey, listeners, it's
4: Hannah. Over the past seven years, we've had over 300 alumni serve in our Urban Missions program who've come from all around the United States. Tessa from Ruston, Louisiana. Bethany from Binghamton, New York.
5: Jeff Storms from Kansas City, Kansas. Carrie Spencer from Hardensburg,
2: Kentucky.
4: They've provided over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries. And along their service journey, they have the opportunity to experience deep community and discipleship that prepare them for their next season of life. Like Jordan Smith, from Harrodsburg, Kentucky, shared with us.
5: I definitely remember a defining moment where I was challenged by one of the individuals that I was serving. I had really kind of relegated him to that sphere of of mission or work. He was essentially asking permission to be brought into this other part of my life that I really just kept separate. So I think Love That Neighborhood showed me how to love people in a more gospel-centered way.
4: If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, Come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults, ages 18 to 30, through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
0: Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are which is why we created mapping your enneagram story mapping your enneagram story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are using the lens of the enneagram you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why jesus is the key to living a better story to get your own copy of mapping your enneagram story just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu There, you'll find mapping your Enneagram story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping your Enneagram story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. Jesse Eubanks. Rachel Zabo. So today we're hearing stories of people trying to be good neighbors. That's right.
1: And let's be honest, we cannot talk about neighbors without having a story from Mr. Rogers.
0: Or as I like to call him, St. Fred Rogers.
1: Yes. So this is our second story. And this one comes to us from author Shay Tuttle. So Shay wrote the book Exactly As You Are, The Life and Faith of Mr. Rogers, because like a lot of folks, Shay herself was fascinated by Mr. Rogers, and this audio comes from an interview she did with the Voices in My Head podcast, so you'll be able to hear their host in the background. Here's Shay.
4: Yeah, you know it's funny. I um, I adored Mr. Rogers as a you know a preschooler when I was kind of in his target audience. I watched the program. I really loved it. I'm pretty sure that I would cry if I had to miss it. You know, <laughs> um, and I think like a lot of kids, I really um, felt connected to him. But it's funny because when I look back, I also remember loving Pee Wee's Playhouse, which (laughs) was not nearly of the same quality as Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So I'm not sure that I had any particularly discerning taste, but I do know (laughs) I do know that I loved Mr. Rogers.
1: And Of course, when it came to neighboring, Fred Rogers had his own sort of neighborhood through television.
4: You know, one of the questions that I brought to this um, book was whether Fred saw his work as ministry, and it didn't take long for me to get the sense that, yeah, he totally saw he totally saw his work as ministry.
1: But Fred Rogers' television show wasn't just a neighborhood on screen. He created one off screen, too, because the people who worked with him on the show experienced Fred like a neighbor who cared about them and loved them. And on more than one occasion, the way Fred was a neighbor to those around him was in this strange, almost mysterious way. He would sort of feel some kind of a,
4: you know, a nudging. He would he would say the Holy Spirit, you know, would direct him somehow. There were lots of people who had this sort of strange experience of having Fred show up at the moment that they needed something and he would appear.
0: Like what? Like what what does she mean?
1: So, like, out of the blue, Fred would just show up for people when they were in a moment of crisis or they needed help. And it would be in these moments where, like, these people hadn't even expressed a need or, like, no one knew what was going on. It was just, like, Fred somehow knew they needed a neighbor in that moment.
0: Wow. So, like, they would have this, like, secret need that no one knew about, but somehow Fred Rogers was there right on time.
1: Yeah, totally. One such story happened to Francois Clemens, the man who played the character Officer Clemens on the show. And perhaps his most iconic scene was when he, an African-American man, and Fred, a white man, both sat with their feet in a kiddie pool together.
0: Oh, I totally remember that, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a very classic moment, showing how neighboring extends past ethnic boundaries. But the story that he remembers about Fred being this mysterious good neighbor was actually on the day of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination.
4: After um, Dr. King's murder, um, that, yeah, these these riots were happening, and that he was, I think, in his apartment, and he was, he was terrified.
1: So these riots following King's assassination are known as Holy Week, 1968. Nearly 200 cities across the U.S. faced rioting, looting, arson, sniper fire, 58,000 National Guardsmen were deployed that week.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like if I were a black man and I just realized that the face of the civil rights movement had been assassinated. Do I go out and protest, you know, and run the risk of being hurt or killed myself? Do I stay home and keep to myself? But that sort of feels like a betrayal of everything that the movement stood for I would feel a lot of fear and a lot of conflict.
1: Yeah, and that's like an internal struggle, right? I mean, of course, those who know him will know that this is impacting him in some way, but like no one knows that he's alone in his apartment. No one knows that the riots are making their way to his neighborhood. No one knows that he feels trapped because he doesn't want to step outside and run into the National Guard. Like, no one knows in this moment that he's really scared. But then, who shows up at Francois's apartment? Fred Rogers.
4: And somehow, like, Fred just appeared and said, Francois, come on, you're coming with me, and loaded him into the car with, I don't know, a suitcase or whatever, and -hmm. and took him um, probably back to his house, I'm not sure, but took him somewhere safe until things settled down. Francois has talked about just how much that meant that You know, Fred was there for him and and helped him to feel safe.
1: But perhaps the most profound story Shay heard about Fred's sort of good neighbor nudgings was from another person who worked on the show, a woman named Lisa.
4: So Lisa worked for The Neighborhood. I think she worked with
1: Mr. McFeely,
4: whose real name I'm blanking on, but he, he was public relations director for, for The Neighborhood. And she worked with him in public relations, but then I think as often happened, she ended up playing a part too in, in The Neighborhood of Make-Believe. She was Purple Panda, and she actually was only
1: there for a few years. So Lisa mostly worked in public relations for the show, but she also briefly played the role of Purple Panda in The Neighborhood of Make-Believe. And she hadn't been around the show that long when her husband, Scott, was diagnosed with cancer.
4: Her husband, they were both you know, very young and he was diagnosed with cancer. You know, I think Fred had been a support
1: throughout his journey through cancer. And then one day, Lisa ended up having a horrific experience.
4: And then there was one morning that I think she um, woke up and realized
1: that Scott had died. Her husband had actually passed away in his sleep. And she woke up to find him dead beside her.
0: Ugh, that's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah.
4: She was, you know, distraught and had no idea what to do and was in a panic. And then um, she heard a knock at the door.
1: Now, keep in mind, this is, like, very early in the morning. Like, not the time for someone to be knocking on your door.
4: And she went to the door and opened it, and and Fred was there.
0: Wait, wait, wait. How in the world was Fred there? Like, did they have, like, a meeting scheduled or something? Nope. He just showed up? Yep.
1: He had no idea what had just happened. He was just there. Whoa. She
4: remembers that he was licking his lips, which is something that she said he did when he was uncomfortable. Like He wasn't happy to be there. He was uncomfortable about it. But he said, I was something like, I was praying and I felt that you needed me.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, Fred had just felt that sort of nudging and had just shown up, having no idea about the grief that Lisa had just experienced over her husband
4: she, you know, brought him inside and explained what had happened. And she said, you know, Fred is the person who was, he's the person who called the funeral home. He wept with her over Scott's body. And she said nobody else ever wept with her over Scott's
1: body. Lisa said that Fred even helped her talk to their young son about what had just happened. So, you know, I think we would all agree that Fred Rogers was an amazing man who did amazing things, but some of his most amazing stories are ones that maybe don't get told that often. Stories of simply following God, showing up, and being a good neighbor, no matter the situation. Fred, you know, of course had told the
4: staff about Scott's death, but he had never said, and by the way, I showed up at her door. I think she said, you know, I'm probably one of Hundreds of people with stories like this. So anyway, it, it was a, a powerful story and um, and just a real testament to the kind of um, the kind of quiet ministry that he had that nobody ever you know hears about.
0: So we're down to our last story. And this one actually comes from right here at Love Thy Neighborhood. Because around here, you know, trying to be a good neighbor, it is not a foreign concept.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, neighborhood outreach is something that the young adults who come serve with us do every Saturday. Like it's literally built into their schedule to meet neighbors.
0: And for our interns who live in the Shelby Park neighborhood, there's one simple way to meet people. And that is to head out to the basketball court. The reality is that there are always kids and teens out there. I mean, it's just the hangout spot. A fact which year-long intern, Hong Xu decided to take advantage of. So, Hong served with us back in 2017, and he's really into basketball, so it was a natural decision to spend his outreach days out on the court. But Hong's outreach took a turn when one day a new guy walks up. Here's Hong describing this guy.
5: He is African-American, has a ton of tats, and he was also walking up with a large pit bull that had a chain around his neck, and he just looked like a straight thug.
0: Now, before coming to LTN, Hong had actually spent some time in the military. So there's not a whole lot that Hong finds intimidating. Oh, sure. But this new guy, it was clear he was trying to take his intimidation factor to the max.
5: He, like, didn't talk to us. And then as soon as the game was about to start, he, like, took off his shirt, basically, like, flexed on me. Coming onto the court uh, is just kind of that culture, you know, you got to let everyone feel who you are as soon as you come into the court.
0: So this guy's like showing off his stuff, right? Yeah. Like he's like trying to like shake him down basically.
1: He's like big man on campus. Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, so the basketball game begins and like this guy is like he's dominating everybody. Uh, he's pushing hung around, he could jump higher than everybody else on the court, but then something happened that like made him step out of the game altogether.
5: But at one point, he went up for trying to dunk, and someone else, like, hit his hips. So that's pretty dangerous.
0: And this guy's, like, furious. Like, is really, really upset about it. Hong said that it looked like a fight was going to break out, like, right there in the middle of the game. Oh, gosh. And this guy suddenly, like, walks over to the opposite court, which is empty, and he just starts shooting ball by himself. So Hong finishes up his game, and he's about to leave. But then suddenly he just feels this nudge, like, I don't think I'm done here. Like, I think I'm supposed to go talk to this guy. Hmm.
5: Honestly, it just felt like a weight, a conviction on my chest. And I was like, I have to invite this guy over.
0: So Hong inviting this guy over, like, that's not all that unusual. Like, here at LTN, our interns try to invite neighbors over for dinner every Saturday night. And so Hong's kind of going with the rhythms and the design of our program. And so Hong decides... What neighbor is he going to invite? He's going to invite the most dangerous guy on the basketball court to come into their apartment to hang out with them. That seems like a good decision. Right? Hong feels like it's not all that risky because the guy's probably just going to say no anyway.
5: And so I walked over there and I was like, hey, man, um, we're having some pizza and just hanging out if you want to come over. And he had the most skeptical look in his eye. And he just looked at me. And I could see him, like, think about it.
0: And he gives Hong an answer, and surprisingly, the answer is not no. Oh. Instead, the guy responds, hey, do you play NBA 2K?
1: Wait, what?
0: (laughs) Okay, yeah, so NBA 2K, it's a basketball game for Xbox. It's a video game. Oh. Uh, And our interns, they actually don't have TVs in their houses, and so Hong tells him, man, actually, I, I do like that game, but we don't have a TV, and we don't have an Xbox. And so the guy says, no worries, I'll just bring... My TV and my Xbox over to your place. Wait, what?
5: And yeah, we went to his place. We grabbed his TV and his Xbox. It was just crazy because it was just like, he doesn't know us at all. And he's bringing, you know, $600 worth of items into our apartment. And he's just going to hang out with us and chill with us.
1: That is insane.
0: Yeah. So Hong learns that the guy's name is Jay. They exchange phone numbers, and then Hong and Jay, they start texting, trying to find time to play basketball together, but also Hong just wants to hang out with Jay and have him over. So they start hanging out on a regular basis for several months. Eventually, Jay started going to church with Hong, they shared their life stories with one another. I mean, if it tells you anything about the nature of their friendship, whenever Jay's son was about to be born. Guess who he called? He called Hong to make sure that he was going to be at the hospital to meet his baby.
1: Oh, wow. So they're like pretty good friends.
0: Yeah. They became really close. And then there was this one time when Jay was hanging out with Hong and his roommates that Jay actually had something to say.
5: We were just hanging out with him and he just said, I really like you guys. And I said, "I, I think that's a good thing. I didn't want you coming over here only to eat our food. Um, and he was like, no, but for real, like, there's nowhere that I can go without having my guard up. And he's like, and there's nowhere that I can go without like carrying a weapon other than here. He was just like, when I come here, I I don't need to watch my back and I don't need to have a weapon. I just know nothing like that's going to happen. And you guys aren't thinking like you're going to take my money or do anything to me.
0: And then Jay says, I never really thought God was real until I met you.
5: Because you guys live in such a different way that the only way you could live like this is if God existed.
0: So their simple friendship had shown Jay something he had never experienced before, the love of God. And for Hong, it was easy to love Jay. They had similar interests. He was fun to be around and he loved going to church and talking theology. It's not hard for us to love people who are doing the things we know they should, but for Hong, that love was actually about to be tested because Jay actually had a secret. One day, Hong received a phone call and it was Jay, and he was actually calling from jail because he'd been arrested.
1: Oh, wow.
5: That happened March 14th. I actually remember the day because he got arrested on the day that he was supposed to come over and have some spaghetti and meatballs.
0: So Hong actually wasn't sure what was going on, but he knew that he wanted to see his friend. So Hong actually just jumped in the car and drove down to the jail to go see Jay.
5: So when I first went to visit him, it was like seeing his face... He literally was like so joyful but at the same time when I started talking to him he's like dude I didn't think you'd show up and I was like why he's like because why would you show up he's like what what's the reason and I'm like well because you're my friend and I don't know like I, I love the Lord and the Lord calls us to love others and so why wouldn't I show up like you are someone in my life that I care about and he's like but like I'm I'm a very bad
0: person So Jay actually went on to explain why he was in jail.
5: He ended up telling me more about his life. And so from the very start of our friendship, he had actually been on the run from the authorities. And so the entire time I was hanging out with him, I didn't know this, but I was hanging out with a convicted felon. (laughs) And he was like, "I, I really wanted to tell you this like the past, you know, couple months, but like... I just didn't think that you'd still be my friend.
1: Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. I mean, the truth is that Jay just wasn't the person that Hong thought that he was. And now, sitting in the jail, Hong had this decision to make. Either he could stop communicating with Jay, which he would be totally justified in doing, or he could extend grace. Undeserved grace. And... Hong remembered the words that Jay had told him just weeks before. The only way you could live like you do is if God really existed. And so Hong told him, of course, of course, we're going to stay friends.
5: It'd be a really hard place to be at, but I'd still be your friend. And he's like, you'd still hang out with me? And I was like, not in public. (laughs) But, um... Yeah, it just opened up another level of friendship for us.
1: Yeah, like that's amazing for Hong to extend that friendship even after, you know, maybe feeling deceived or feeling like there could be some mistrust there. Like what a great example of the way that God loves and cares for us that he's extending now to his friend.
0: Yeah. When we truly believe that God has loved us and accepted us despite our own betrayal of him, we are then more able to give that grace to other people. Yeah. And it's just an example of like Hong was able to receive God's grace and that allowed him to give God's grace.
1: Yeah. I think that's beautiful.
0: Even after his internship with us ended, Hong actually continued to be friends with Jay. and. What that friendship has taught both of them is what it means for God to be the God of grace.
5: The grace that God has for people, there's so much grace and there's so much love and forgiveness there. As Christians, we have to be able to offer that to people. Because if I, for one second at all, judge Jay for anything that he's done in his past, he would have ran out of there, you know, and he would have ran out of there with the thought process of Christians are fake and there's no grace and there's no love. Therefore, there's no God. And so the impact there has just like opened my eyes. How much grace and love in itself, you don't have to go and sacrifice your life absolutely right then and there for them to see that. You can just invite them over for a dinner.
1: So our modern culture might think that being left alone is the best way to love your neighbors. But in the story of the Good Samaritan, both the priest and the Levite did leave the man alone. And they were not commended for being a good neighbor. Instead, it was the Samaritan who stepped in
0: and showed up. Loving our neighbors doesn't have to be complicated. It's simple, but it does require that we make the first move. And if you find yourself feeling lonely, chances are your neighbors actually do too. So make the first move. Show up with some cookies or fish tacos or simply with a card, letting them know that you're there. Because you never know what God will do with a simple hello. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our interviewees for this episode, Chris and Elizabeth McKinney and Hong Shu. Special thanks also to the Voices in My Head podcast for Shea Tuttle's audio. Our
1: senior producer and host
0: is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host and producer is Rachel Zabo, who recently turned down an offer to star in the latest Hallmark movie.
2: I think I'm like the mayor of Wyndham Ridge. (laughs) Anna Tran is our audio engineer.
0: Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Pottington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. Team music and commercial music by Murphy DX.
1: If you want a hands on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Through the areas of service, community, and discipleship, you'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
0: Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us go and do likewise.